0: church podcast. We hope you are blessed by the sermons, devotional readings, and teachings that we put out as an encouragement and strength for daily living as we seek to glorify the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, because all things are done for our good and His glory. Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you this morning. What a wonderful opportunity we've already had to worship and magnify and exalt our Lord Jesus Christ in fellowship with one another as we can come together and bear each other's burdens and uh, just encourage each other with the Word of God and how encouraging it is to sing songs together and magnify Christ. It is very fitting that we would sing It Is Well With My Soul, and it's very fitting that Brother Eric would lead us again in verse 3. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Today, once again, we're going to be talking about mercy. We're going to be talking about the mercy of God. And this morning, if you sang that song and you sang it from a place of experiential understanding, where you have truly experienced the mercy of God in your life, then this morning we have every reason to rejoice and magnify Christ and exalt His holy name because He has poured His mercy out on us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's not giving us what we deserve, but He's given us of His grace. He's poured His grace out upon us. What a glorious thing to be reminded of that truth this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew chapter 7. I'll be preaching this morning from verse 7. Once again, this is kind of part 2 of Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We have already visited this verse before, and today we're going to go back again. Sorry, Matthew 5, verse 7. Thank you, Jim. Jim's keeping me in, on track this morning. Before we get into uh, that verse, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day to come together as your church and magnify the name of Christ. I thank you for every single person that is in this room. Lord, I believe wholeheartedly that it was your sovereign plan, your your sovereign will, your sovereign delight, that everyone that is here this morning be here. That you have a plan and a purpose for the Word that is going to go out this morning and is going to... uh, You have a plan and a purpose for the seed that is going to be scattered this morning. Lord, what we long to see is fruit that is bore for the kingdom. We long to see gospel fruit. We long to see uh, those that belong to You. We long to see Christians be encouraged by Your Word. And Lord, we long to see this morning people that don't know You, understand deep down in their soul that they have a desperate need for Christ. We long to see people see Jesus for who he is. We long to see uh, people turn from their sin and put their hope in his finished work. God, I pray that you would help me this morning as I preach. Lord, I am frail, I'm feeble. I have nothing inside of me that... Uh, is is worth anything. I've, I've got nothing in me, in my flesh, to offer your people. But Lord, you are sufficient. You are glorious. You are worthy. And this morning, God, I pray that our eyes would be cast upon you and that we'd be edified and encouraged through our time together. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, as I said, we're going to be uh, picking up once again. We've taken a few weeks uh, break from the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to be picking up again today as we just slowly walk through uh, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, as we slowly walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've made it clear as we've been gathered together that Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching uh, th- this gospel and he's telling them uh, that what, what it's going to look like in the life of one that is part of God's kingdom. And we've been slowly walking through these beatitudes and we've been seeing what will be true of the way God's kingdom people think about themselves, how they think about others, how they think about God, what is going to be true about the way that they view themselves. And we've been walking through these beatitudes and just to kind of remind ourselves as we go on, because context does matter when we're looking at these beatitudes. Jesus began with poorness of spirit, with having this understanding about yourself that there's nothing in you that would commend you to God. By truly understanding and and knowing that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you're in desperate need of help outside yourself. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those who mourn and are brokenhearted over their sinful condition. Blessed are those who are meek. In other words, blessed are those who, because they understand their sinful condition, because they've mourned over their sin, they now live in such a way that they are humbled by the fact that they are sinners. They're not living with a haughty spirit. They're not buying their own press. They are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who have seen their deep need for righteousness outside themselves and they find it in our Lord Jesus Christ. And today, blessed are those who are merciful. We're going to be picking up in verse 7 again. And as we began this verse in chapter 5, verse 7, What do we begin with? We began with God's mercy, didn't we? We began talking about the mercy of God. We began talking about how God has poured out His mercy upon us. Psalm 103 verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love when we're talking about mercy and when we're talking about the call for us to be merciful, we can't even begin to try to understand what that looks like. We can't begin to try to live that out until we have a deep understanding of the mercy of God in our own lives. Until we have a deep understanding of how God has poured out His mercy upon us. When we look at God, and His mercy, we're seeing one who is perfect in mercy. God is perfect in all His attributes. And when we think about the mercy of God, we see perfect mercy. We see God uh, as the standard of what is and isn't merciful. And so we talked about that as we began uh, looking at this. We looked at the definition of mercy. We read a very simple definition of mercy. Mercy is not getting what we ought. And so when we think about the mercy of God and we think about how He has dealt with us, my goodness, this morning, if if we're saved, if we're sitting in here having been redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ, if we're in this room today and we have trusted upon Christ, we've believed upon His name, then we have not been dealt with as our sins deserve, have we? God has shown us extreme mercy. He's been so merciful to us. We talked about what it was that our sins deserve. And I think this morning, uh, just to simply refresh ourselves before we dig into what it looks like for us to be merciful, I think it would do us well to turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 and remind ourselves of the mercy that God has poured out upon us. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. What does the Bible say about who we were before God poured out his mercy upon us? What was our condition? What kind of lives did we live? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that points a very devastate or paints a very devastating picture of us, doesn't it? When we think about who we were, when we think about our condition, we were dead in sin. There was nothing good inside of us. We were totally unable to help ourselves. And Paul follows all that up by saying we were what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What existed between us and God was enmity. What existed between us and God was wrath. But then Paul uh, gives us this incredible picture of the mercy of God in verse 4. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We think about the mercy of God. We think about God who owed us nothing who the only thing that we had coming to us was death and hell. The only thing that we were deserving of was judgment. The only thing that, that was awaiting us left to ourselves was eternal torment. But God, being rich in mercy, forgave us. He poured out His mercy on us. He did not deal with us as our sins Deserve. He did not give us what we ought to be given. And when we think about our call to be merciful, it's important that we understand that the mercy that God has shown us informs the mercy that we are called to show others. It is impossible this morning for us to talk about Christian mercy It's impossible for us this morning to talk about the mercy that God's kingdom people are called to show others and called to show one another. It's impossible to talk about that without first reminding ourselves of the mercy that God has shown us. Because the mercy that God has shown us informs the mercy that we're called to show others. One commentator speaking of this, said it like this, and I really like the quote. He said, Our Lord Himself expressly teaches us that God's method is to awaken mercy in us by His own exercise of it in so stupendous a way and measure in ourselves. God's method of awakening mercy in us is for Him to pour out His mercy in our own heart. And this morning as we begin this sermon, we begin getting ready to dig into this verse and and kind of unpack what it looks like for us to be merciful. It's important that we understand that, that God awakens mercy in us. God energizes mercy in us. We are enabled to be merciful because God has shown us mercy. God's mercy informs our mercy. And so let's read our text together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think it's interesting when we... I made the comment earlier that context matters. It always matters when we're reading the Bible, understanding... What comes before and what comes after a verse is always important. But when we're looking at these Beatitudes, it, it's, it's very important. It really helps us understand what it is that Jesus is showing us here. Because he, he's just talked about meekness. He's just talked about meekness. And, and, and one who is meek, one who has that attitude about himself, says with no reservation, I am a what? Sinner. I understand and realize that before a holy God, I have broken God's law. I'm a sinner. And when I view myself, I'm viewing myself for who I am. Much like Isaiah before God, when he saw God for who he was, could only say of himself, Woe is me, I'm a sinner. And if we're meek, if we have that attitude about ourselves, then what we say of ourselves is, I am a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And as we progress through these beatitudes and we look at mercy, what does mercy say? Meekness says, I'm a sinner. Mercy says, and so are you. But I'm going to love you with the same love that I've been loved with. Mercy says that I'll show you grace because you're a sinner like me. We're we're in the same boat. Merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful. Because God has worked mercy in us, we ought to strive to live lives that display that same mercy. Because God has been so gracious to us, we ought to strive to live lives that display that same mercy to others. And this morning we say, well, what does it look like? What would that look like for me to be merciful? We see Jesus saying that it's a blessed thing, don't we? Jesus says it's a blessed thing. It's a a glorious thing. It leads to happiness if you are merciful, and what does that look like in your life if you are merciful? Well, I think for us, especially when, we're, when we understand and we're thinking about the fact that God's mercy informs our mercy, who do we look to to understand what that would look like in our own life? We look to Christ, don't we? We look to the example that Jesus has set for us. We put our eyes upon Jesus and we say, okay, it's blessed if I'm merciful. Jesus has been merciful to me, and so I want to display that same mercy to others. And I think there's two ways, two main ways in which we see Jesus displaying mercy. The first is compassion toward the suffering and the needy. When we think about the mercy that God has displayed to us, when we think about the mercy that we can look at the life of Christ and say, okay, how was Jesus merciful? We see Jesus displaying compassion toward the suffering and the needy. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 12. Matthew 12, and I'll begin in verse 1. And I want to begin in verse 1 because I want to kind of get the context, but really the meat of what I'm looking at here begins in verse 9. But when we look through the Gospels, we see all kinds of examples, all kinds of of times when Christ displayed mercy and compassion toward those who were suffering. And here we see another example. Look at, verse, at chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, are, are profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here, and I, this is why I wanted to, to begin in, in verse one. Jesus said. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What's G- what is it that Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, you, we, we can make all kinds of sacrifices. We can sacrifice ourselves in many different ways to try to live up to the law. But what is it that God desires on the Sabbath? What is it that God desires from us? He desires a heart of mercy. And we can make all the sacrifices in the world. We can can do all the things that we want to do to try to restrict ourselves to glorify God on the Sabbath. But if we do that without mercy, then it isn't worship. If we do that without mercy, then it's meaningless. and It's pointless before God. And so God says, I don't desire sacrifice from you. I desire mercy. I desire your heart to be changed. I desire you to, to display to others the same grace that you've been shown, the same mercy that you've been shown. And so remember, keeping the context in mind, this is on the Sabbath. This is the same day as we pick up in verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? What did Jesus do to this man? He displayed mercy, didn't he? He displayed compassion. He dis- he he showed him uh, mercy and compassion. He he met his need. And when we look throughout the gospels, we see that all through the gospels, Jesus meeting people where they are. Don't we? Jesus showing up and and alleviating suffering and and displaying compassion and and doing all these things. And so when we think about the mercy that we see exemplified in Christ, we see mercy displayed in compassion toward those who are suffering and in compassion toward those who are needy. But secondly, when we think about the mercy that Christ displays, We see His mercy displayed in the forgiveness of the guilty. We see His mercy displayed in the forgiveness of sin. We see His mercy displayed in Him uh, interacting with sinners and forgiving them of their sin. I want you to look with me in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 1. Another example of Jesus displaying mercy. And here we see Jesus uh, compassionately meeting a need, but also meeting a need of the heart. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crosses over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think it evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose. And went home. What do we see Jesus doing there to display His mercy? Well, we see Him forgiving sins, don't we? We see Him uh, giving forgiveness and 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 meeting needs and and showing compassion. Look with me in Luke seven. Luke seven, beginning in verse thirty six. Again, we're looking at Jesus as as the example for mercy. Luke chapter seven. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, And Jesus, answering, to, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You've judged rightly. but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What do we see Jesus doing to display mercy? He meets people where they are. He displays His compassion and He meets their needs. He he helps them in their suffering and He forgives their sin. Jesus forgives sins. Now, when we talked about God's mercy the last time that we were looking at this verse a few weeks ago, I began that sermon by asking you to think about the mercy of God in your own life. I began that sermon by asking you to, to, to go back in your mind and consider uh, your experience with the mercy of Christ. To go back in your mind and think about how it is that God has displayed such incredible mercy toward you. Where were you when God's mercy was poured out in your life? Where were you when, when, when the Lord met you and, and met your need? Listen, friends, there's no greater example in your own life of mercy than your own experience with mercy. There's no greater example that I can show you in the Scripture that would be any more amazing than what God did in your own heart to you. If you've personally experienced the mercy of Christ, and so we look at these ways in which God shows mercy in which Christ showed mercy, He showed mercy toward those who are suffering and who are needy, and He forgives the guilty. And this morning, if if you're sitting there as someone who's been saved, who's been ransomed, who's been redeemed, then, then we see all these examples in the Scripture, but you also have a testimony in your own heart of God displaying His mercy in your life. And so Jesus has set the example. Jesus has shown us what mercy looks like. Mercy shows up in compassion and forgiveness. And you say, well, what does it look like when we live that example? So this morning, we understand that God's mercy is what motivates and energizes and and really creates mercy in us. And we look to Christ to see what what that mercy looks like. And so when we're living that example of Christ's mercy, what does that look like in our lives? What's it going to look like if we're living out the mercy, the example that we see set forth in Christ? The first thing that I would remind us of this morning, and you all know this, it's not new information to you. But it's important to understand that mercy is an action. Mercy is an action. we, We live in a culture and we all struggle with this ourselves if we're honest. But we live in a culture and we also have this within us where we feel very good about our feelings, don't we? We can make ourselves feel so virtuous just simply by what we think and what we feel. And I want you to understand this morning that feelings of mercy are never commended in the Bible. Feelings of compassion are never commended in the scripture. It's it's not uncommon that maybe we would find ourselves feeling very merciful. And then we take inventory of our life and we go, "Well, I feel merciful, but have I really shown mercy to anybody? And oftentimes the answer is, not really. And so your feelings are not commended. The way you're feeling this morning means very little compared to how you're living and what you're doing. Are you putting it into practice? If God has shown you mercy this morning, has that mercy translated into the way that you display it toward others the way you feel means very little mercy is an action and so it's it's a lifestyle it's how we live it's how we genuinely interact with others there's a text i think that helps us as we think through that look with me in first john look with me in first john chapter 2 beginning in verse 5 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, and remember that we're talking about here Christ being the example of mercy. God has shown us mercy. We look to Christ and we see what it looks like for mercy to be lived out upon the earth. He, he has set the example for us. Mercy shows up in compassion and forgiveness. And so let's look at 1 John 2, beginning in verse 5. By this we know we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. By this we know we are in Him. Whoever abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. And so Christ Is the standard He set the example for us and what it looks like to live a life of mercy? To be compassionate? To be forgiving? And so if we're following Jesus' example, if we are in Christ, then we ought to want to follow that example. If we're in Christ, then we ought to want to walk in His steps. And if we're doing that, What does that look like? How does that show up in our lives? And that's really where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. If we are merciful, then how's that going to flesh out? If we are seeking to live out the mercy of God and seeking to display the example of Christ, then how's that going to look in us? Well, number one, I think we will seek to love and care for others like Jesus did. We will seek to love and care for others like Jesus did. And this is Christ's example of showing compassion, meeting needs, visiting those who are suffering. if if we've been shown mercy and, and, and that's in our hearts and we're seeking to live it out, we're going to seek to display that same kind of mercy toward others. And this will be regardless of status. This will be regardless of who the person is that's suffering. I can remember one time going on a mission trip. And we, we went on this particular trip, and, and we got there, and it, we had drove way far away from where the church was that we were working with to go to this really affluent neighborhood because this is where they wanted the uh, Bible school that we were going to be putting on to be held. And so we, we drove real you know, far away from the church and we went to this really affluent neighborhood and we were looking around. We were trying to find kids. There were literally no kids to be found. We were going, man, there's a playground here, but there's no kids there. We, we can put on a Bible school, but there's nobody here to put it on. And we began kind of understanding pretty quickly maybe why it was that this particular church wanted us to do ministry in that particular area right? There's people of status there. There's people that they would have wanted to capture in that neighborhood and kind of try to get them to come to their church because it really helped the offerings, wouldn't it? And so we looked around and we thought, I mean, we'd love to be able to minister to kids here, but there's no kids. There's nobody to do a Bible school for. And so we drove kind of back closer to the church And we found this housing project that was just booming with kids. Just everywhere. They were just all over the place. And we're going, this is where ministry needs to happen, right? This is where God is already working. This is where God has already prepared ground. And so who do we need to seek to meet when it comes to displaying this kind of compassion and this kind of meeting people where we are and, and meeting people in their suffering that we see displayed for us in Christ, we seek to meet everybody. We, we don't give thought to their status. We don't give thought to, to maybe what their background was. We do this regardless of their background and their status. We do this regardless of the circumstances leading to their plight. Let's think about that for a moment. I'm one of the worst offenders when it comes to this. I want want to confess to you this morning that I can be one of the worst offenders when it comes to picking and choosing who I want to be compassionate to based on what were the circumstances that led to this person's suffering. What were the circumstances that led to this person's plight? And very often, I think I I find it easy, and you may be in the same boat as me to say, well, you know what? They made their bed. They can lay in it. They got themselves into that. They can get themselves out of it. And we never think for a moment, you know what? I got myself into my sin mess. And thank God, Jesus didn't leave it up to me to get myself out of it. I got myself into a really bad, miserable condition that was leading to death and hell. And thank God, Jesus didn't leave it up to me to try to claw my own way out before He wanted to help me. And we don't see Jesus doing that in the Scripture. You don't find an example in the Gospels of Jesus going, I'm not going to heal you because you kind of got yourself in that boat, didn't you? In fact, we see Jesus talking to people about their sin and healing them in spite of their sin. You think about the lepers that He healed who were just ungrateful. Only one came back to glorify Him, but He healed them anyway and so we display mercy and compassion and care and love for, toward others regardless of status regardless of background regardless of circumstances leading to their plight regardless of any other worldly qualifier listen guys we can be we can be absolute sinners when it comes to this we can justify ourselves all day. But we don't mix our own preferences in with who we seek to display mercy to. The last time we went through this in our scripture reading, Brother Eric read through a, a parable that Jesus told. I would invite you to turn with me to Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But him seeking to justify himself, what did he ask? Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to display compassion toward? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It would just killed the jews to have to say it was the samaritan right it was the samaritan that came from this different background that we don't like that that came from this status that we don't like that came from this ethnicity that we don't like he was the one that was the neighbor to the man and so when we say jesus who are we supposed to love who is our neighbor what's the answer It's whoever it is that you need to love. Whoever it is that's in need of mercy and compassion. Whoever it is that's in need of, of being met where they are with the Gospel. Whoever it is that's in need of being met with where they are in their suffering. And we don't say, well, what got you there? What's your background? What's your status? How's it going to help me if I help you? Because Jesus never said that to us. So we strive to show compassion and care and love to those like Jesus did. Secondly, what's it going to look like if we're showing love and compassion and mercy? What's it going to look like if we are merciful, if we're living out the example of Christ? We will not view others through the lens of past sins. We will not view others through the lens of past sins. It is anti-gospel to hold the past sins of a redeemed person against them. And I want to confess to you this morning, I've been having to do a lot of repenting lately. I want to confess to you this morning that I can fall short in this area. I can look at someone, and while I'll never say it with my lips, I might think, well, that's the person who did such and such. Or they've got this particular stain on their life. And I want to tell you this morning, friends, that if that is you, and if that is something that you struggle with, let me encourage you to remember the mercy that's been shown to you. Let me encourage you to take a moment this morning and remember how gracious the Lord of the universe is in not holding your sins against you. I want to take a little journey through the Scripture this morning. Look at Psalm 130 with me. Psalm one thirty, beginning in verse three. The psalmist says, If you, O Lord, should mark Iniquities. Now let's stop there for just a second. And I want you to ask yourself the question right now if the Lord operated in such a way that He was just tallying up all your sins tallying up all the things that you've done, tallying up all the the ill thoughts and ill motive things that, that have been in your mind even since you've been in this building today. Even the last five minutes as I've been preaching, if the Lord were tallying all that up, and and on on the on judgment even though you you've turned to Christ and you've put your hope in his finished work on judgment god is going to say now all these things i've kept a record against you for and you're going to have to tell me how you're going to how you're going to settle this debt what would your answer be It would be like the psalmist, right? The psalmist says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, and he follows it up by saying, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand against such things? Who is it that could stand if, God, you were tallying up my sins the way that I tally up others' people's sins? If you were viewing me through the lens that I view other people through, then who could stand? But he doesn't, does he? When we come to Christ, the Lord forgives us of our sin, and he views us through a different lens. There's no longer wrath and enmity that exists there. There's no longer a a gulf, a separation between us and God. In fact, the psalmist goes on to say in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. And friends, if we have had mercy poured out in our heart, if we've experienced that kind of forgiveness and that kind of love and that kind of grace and that kind of mercy yet we still find ourselves viewing everybody else through the lens of their sin that's anti gospel that's anti christ that that, that that that's 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 not taking into consideration the truth of the matter God forgives us and He views us as righteous as He views Christ. God forgives us and in the judgment we will stand before God with a righteousness that is not our own. And if we have a brother or sister that has experienced that forgiveness and we still continually dredge up their sin and we can still continually dredge up their past and we still continually think of them and judge them in view of their sin that they've committed, then friends, listen, that is so contrary to the mercy of God that's been poured out in your heart. God has been merciful to you, therefore you ought to be merciful to others. God doesn't view you through the lens of your sin, therefore you ought not view your brother and sister through the lens of their sin. Next if we have experienced mercy, if we're striving to be merciful, if we're seeking to follow the example of Christ, then we will strive for forgiveness and restoration with present offenses and past hurts. We will strive for forgiveness and restoration with present offenses and past hurts. What does it look like in your life If you have been shown mercy and you're seeking to display that mercy to others, and someone offends you, or someone injures you in some type of way, and very often, if we're honest, most of the time they didn't even know they did it. But we can be so ready to be offended. We can be so consumed with ourselves and so ready to be hurt that oftentimes we find ourselves offended and hurt anyway. I think we have some guidance from the Scripture on what the best response to that is. The first guidance that I think we have from the Scripture is that it's a glorious thing if we can overlook a fault or an offense. It's a glorious thing if we can live in such a way that we find ourselves hurt or offended. If we find ourselves upset with someone or or feel like they've they've done something to us. it's It's a marvelous thing if we can put that to bed without ever needing to say a word to them about it. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It's a glorious thing if we can overlook offenses. And listen, I I want you to understand something this morning. The only way that you're truly going to be able to overlook an offense is if you have truly embraced and understood and experienced the mercy of God in your own heart. The only way you're truly going to be able to seek restoration in that type of way is if you have experienced the mercy and grace of God in your own heart. Because it is so unnatural for us to strive to overlook offenses. It is so anti-sin nature for us to to have that mentality about ourselves. And so it's a glorious thing if we can simply overlook it, simply show them grace. Secondly, if we can't overlook it, then we ought to be a people that long for restoration. If we can't overlook an offense, if it's something that we can't put to rest, if it's something that we can't uh, deal with in that type of way, then we ought to be a people that says, I don't want to live another day thinking that my brother or sister, that, that there's a separation that exists there. I don't want to live another day thinking that, that there's this sin that exists between me and a brother or me and a sister and and, and I just am fine with it. And I'm just going to deal with it or I'm just going to hold this grudge or or I'm just going to continue to view them through the lens of it. Jesus taught us in, in the Lord's Prayer and we'll be there eventually as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. But what did Jesus tell us to pray? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, when Jesus was teaching us to pray, He said, or verse 12, He said, Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And He goes on in verse 14 to say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. This Sermon on the Mount is talking about what it's like to be a kingdom person. Jesus is, is declaring to them what it's like to be a person that is a citizen of God's kingdom. And a citizen of God's kingdom longs for restoration. They long to see forgiveness happen. Turn with me to Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul is in the middle of that put off, put on passage. Putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And he says in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does it look like for us if we're merciful and we're striving to show mercy toward others, we're striving to live out this example of Christ? Well, it looks like we are a people that is not okay with a grudge. We're a people that's not okay with having sin exist between us and a brother. We're a people that's not okay with an ought. We're a people that will leave our worship at the altar and we will go and be reconciled to our brother. If we're merciful, we'll long for restoration and forgiveness with those who have offended us and those who have hurt us. And we'll long for restoration and forgiveness with those we have offended and we have hurt. Lastly, if we are merciful, and if we're striving to live out this example, we will trust God's grace to help us overcome future sins and offenses of others. We think about the past, we think about the present, and we think about the future. We'll trust God's grace to help us overcome future sins and offenses. Where do I get that from? I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. Paul is talking to them about what love is, what love looks like. He says in verse 4, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Listen, love bears all things. What does that mean? That means if we are loving one another, if I'm loving you, then I'm not going to throw you away the moment I'm offended by you. If we're loving each other with this kind of love, then I'm not going to toss you out the moment that I feel like you aren't loving me back. It bears all things. Secondly, it believes all things. What does that mean? That means that for the future, I'm going to trust God that regardless of what happens between you and I, We're going to be able to continue striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We're going to continue being able to glorify and honor God together. We're going to make it through whatever difficulties may arise between you and I because we love each other. And because that love is based upon the gospel. And it's based upon Christ. So love believes all things. Love endures all things. When we think about this particular aspect of mercy that we're talking about here, it's important to understand that people are going to let you down. Oftentimes, I'll talk to people who They'll say they're Christians and they don't have much need for the church. They'll say, Well, I've been hurt before and I just don't want to be hurt again. I've experienced being offended before and I just don't want to be offended again. Listen to me, friends. You're going to be offended, you're going to be hurt. There's going to be—we're all imperfect, and we're all in here together, and we're all mingling with one another and living side by side with one another. You're going to get your feelings hurt every now and then, and that's not to diminish how much it hurts when it happens. That's not to uh, to say that it's not valid or, or or that it doesn't matter. But listen, it's going to happen. Raise your hand in the room if you've ever been hurt by another Christian. Ooh, it's a lot of people, isn't it? And I can promise you, it's going to happen again. If you live past today or past this week, there's going to be a time that somebody rubs you the wrong way. There's going to be a time that somebody says something to you that you don't agree with and you don't like. There's going to be a time when when someone just pierces an arrow through your heart and you're going, my gosh, that hurts. That's going to happen. But if we're seeking to display mercy the way that Christ displayed mercy, if we're seeking to show the mercy of God in us to others, then we're going to live in such a way where we're trusting all of that to God. Where we're saying, you know what? I know I'm probably going to experience tension between me and a brother or sister. I know that I'm probably going to experience... Hurt between me or a brother and sister, but the gospel's worth it. Unity's worth it. The church is worth it. Glorifying God together is worth it. And so I'm going to trust all that to the Lord, and I'm not going to look at my brothers and sisters with fear that I'm going to be offended. We're displaying mercy. It looks like us seeking to love and care for others like Jesus did. It looks like us not viewing people through the lens of their past sin. It looks like us longing for and striving for and fighting for forgiveness and restoration for present offenses. And it looks like us trusting God's grace to help us overcome future offenses. I want to end with this. Paul says, or Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. We've talked about how that word means happy, joyful, blissful. Blissful are the merciful. And I want you to think with me for just a moment. Does that come natural? Is that natural to man? No, it's not. In fact, what does natural man say is going to make them happy whenever they're thinking about situations where they would be required to show mercy? You know what's really going to make me happy is if I just do what? Hold on to this grudge. This grudge is eating me up inside, but I tell you what, I'm enjoying hating them so much in my heart that I just can't let go of it. You know what would really make me happy is just to see them get paid back for what they did to me. What would really make me happy is just to see wrath poured out on their head. Listen, the joyfulness in mercy isn't natural to man. But Jesus says, the way to joy, the way to peace, the way to blissfulness, the way to happiness as a kingdom person of God is to live in such a way that you are displaying mercy. The mercy that God has poured out on you, you are ready and willing and and, and able and, and by the grace of God to pour it out on others. For the citizen of God's kingdom, joy comes through mercy. And what's the promise? The promise is a promise. This blessedness comes through, ultimately, a divine promise. What's the promise here? For they shall, what, receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Psalm 18, verse 25. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Does our showing mercy to others secure God's mercy to us? No. Us showing mercy to others is a fruit of God's mercy toward us. It's a fruit of God's mercy toward us. Listen, how can you this morning have confidence that God has poured out mercy in your heart? How can you this morning have confidence that you've been uh, met and you've genuinely experienced the mercy of God in your own life? Where can that confidence come from? Well, look at how you're living. Are you displaying mercy? Are you merciful? And if the answer is yes, if the answer is genuinely, listen, I know I fail, I know I fall short, but I long to be restored when when hurts happen. I, long to, I, don't, I don't want to hold any grudges. I long to meet people and, and display the same love and grace that God has shown me. What a fruit of mercy that is. What a glorious thing that is in your life if you're longing and striving to display the mercy of God toward others. But listen, if you aren't, then this is a warning. This is a warning to truly examine your own heart. Examine yourself and say, man, I, I love holding a grudge. I love not showing forgiveness and not being compassionate. I love being angry and being ticked off when people hurt me. I don't don't care that much about those that are suffering unless they're connected to me. It's not on my radar. And friends, it may very well be that mercy has not been poured out in your heart. Because when God pours out His mercy In you, you cannot help but want to display that mercy toward others. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be a struggle. That doesn't mean that we're not going to fall short. That doesn't mean that we're not going to just sin incredibly in this area. But if God's been merciful to us, then we will long to be merciful to others And if we are living that kind of life that display the fruits of God's mercy, then my goodness, what a glorious future we have to look forward to. God has been merciful to us, therefore we are merciful. Seek to show it to others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your promises. Lord, I pray that your word would bear fruit in us and would glorify and honor Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.